Uh, what's up, Mike? What's up, Walker? Should we do this? Let's do it. Mike, should we start? Yeah, let's do this. It's been a while. It's been a while. All right. So welcome to Walls Down Podcast. I'm Walker. I'm Mike. This is the podcast where we uh, talk about stories of masculinity. So uh, we've got a guest this week who is a very dear friend of mine. Uh, Mark is going to come on a little later after the break. But uh, yeah, Mike, I haven't, we, you know, we've been in touch, but I haven't seen you in a while. So I know. what have you been up to? Well, first, what have you been up to? <laughs> Why, because Congratu- I always ask first? No, no, no. Congratulations on moving into uh, a new yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. So I moved, I moved into um, just out of Manhattan, back into Brooklyn. BK. Um, I love it. I love my spot. It's great. Um, down a little south from here. But uh, it's funny, actually, it's funny that you asked that, because that wasn't what I was thinking about talking about, but that is a big thing, like... Um, I moved last year, I was like staying with a friend in Queens and I got like a place with my sister and I see, you know, it's funny, I like see myself as this very like, I'm like very Zen, very like spiritually fit and all this kind of stuff. And then when I moved into this, like during moving, our, actually our guest wife helped me move too and I feel bad, like I was such a prick. I was such, and I recognized it as I was doing it. It was almost like I couldn't help it. And it was like that, like, you know, speaking in terms of, like, masculinity, it was like um, I, like, took over. It was like I had to tell everybody what to do, and I had to be like, you go stand by the truck, and I, you and me move this, and that's going there. And I, and I recognized that, you know, I recognized that it was, like, coming from some anxiety. I was, like, I was worried because it was, like, most expensive apartment I'd ever moved into. I felt like maybe we were getting ripped off. You know, it's New York, so everything, every square inch is so expensive. And this one was very nice, but it's very small. And the guy, we'd had kind of a bad interaction with the guy, the broker who helped us get it and the manager. Just like, I felt like, you know, those, those fears come out of like, and it, for me, and this may be a human thing, but for me, it is like a man thing. Like, I'm getting ripped off, and I'm not, like, manly. And like, one man ripped off me off, and he, like, established dominance over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, like, everything in the apartment, like, because it also, they had just remodeled it, so they had, and they weren't even finished. And we had asked, like, can we move in early? And we kind of had to go back and forth with them. And so, like, everything, every little, like, uh, light switch that w- didn't work yet or something, I'm like, oh, God, that was it. Like, this is it. I made such a big deal out of it. everything that time. And it's funny, it even came up recently, me and my girlfriend were walking down the street and there was like someone selling street art and she saw one, it was like an inside, like reference and inside joke we have kind of. And so we're like, oh, we should get that. And I could tell she really wanted it. So the guy was like, I was like, oh, how much do you want for it? And the guy said like 40 bucks, like usually I sell it for 60, but I'm getting ready to close down. And I was just sort of like, okay, here go, here's 40 bucks. And like, walked off and whatever and then me and my girlfriend talking when we got home she was like I mean you could have haggled a little and I was like for like two days I was like I will haggle everything from now on <laughs> like I will never again like I'm gonna haggle at the grocery store because I, I felt like I was like she's she saw me be weak like that was pathetic of me not to do that um so 
you know, having had that experience last year, this year when I moved, I kind of like prepared, um, cause I live with my sister and my girlfriend. I was like kind of prepared them that like, I'm probably going to be an asshole during this, but I w- it was way, I was this move, both moves went really smoothly, but this move, I was way more relaxed. And I think it was, I'd love to say that it was like I've grown and I'm more mature now, but I really think it was the apartment's cheaper. It's twice the size. I felt I had a really good interaction with the guy who helped us find the place. It was very laid back, which has kind of been my experience both times moving into Brooklyn versus moving in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. In Manhattan, I feel like a lot of the brokers are like, oh, this, you better get in now. Like, this place is going to be gone. Da, 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 where, like, both the brokers I had in Brooklyn were just like guys who were like, yeah, like, it's cool if you like it. Like, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> Bill was just passing through. Don't worry. Mike, Mike, be quiet. Uh, but so, like, it was a much more. I, I didn't feel like I think like I, I had been taken for a ride or like so whatever. So that that went pretty well. Right now, it is. We got everything in. Move went well. There was even problems like the electricity didn't work in half the apartment for the first. It like went out, and wouldn't come back on for the first two nights we were there. And I was like, it'll they'll fix it. Like I didn't, and they did, and it works fine now. But I was like, normally, I think if that had been the other place, I would have lost my shit. Um, so, yeah. So, and now, like, we moved in, and I still am working. So, it's not, it's, like, very not set up. It's mm-hmm. been very, like, get what you can. I'm actually going to go after this and go work on it some more. But, like, that throws me off my rhythm a little bit, you know, which shows how ingrained I am in mm-hmm. my routine. Yeah. And, like, if my routine gets broken, I get a little antsy. But, you know, overall, it's going pretty well. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you, sir. What have you been up to? Congratulations. I'm excited to be back. The last two weeks, I was like, what do I do on Saturday morning? (laughs) I felt so lost. (laughs) I went to a meeting in Brooklyn. Um, I started a new program, uh, a new 12-step program. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I made a commitment to go to this men's meeting. Uh, So... I'm, like, trying to push myself outside mm. of my comfort zone yeah. and, like, really look at things that I didn't want to look at. Mm. And now it's, like, right here in my face. So I'm, like, all right, let's just do it. It's this time. What, are, time. what are some of those things that you don't want to look at? Uh, my fear of men and, like, connecting with men. Uh-huh. Like, men that I think are more successful than me, uh-huh. uh, more manlier than me. Uh-huh. Um, and just really getting outside my comfort zone and building, like, real relationships like with men hmm. that like I would look at and judge because I'm either not them or I think they're cooler than me or yeah. they have more than me. Uh-huh. So I like talk shit in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Man, fuck you. You ain't shit. <laughs> yes. You're <a> bitch. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. But that's all just like fear of like, I just want to be your friend. And I'm too scared to ask. Yeah. I don't know how to. Totally. You know? So like I'm pushing myself to like, yeah, just be more humble and like, really just connect yeah whatever that means and whatever that looks like just explore it and just try it yeah no i, just, I mean i've we've talked about it before but i had the exact same experience like i can go to a meeting where literally everyone looks exactly like me yeah. it's dressed just like me and i'm like everyone here is cool i'm a loser these guys like they're all brothers and i'm yeah. just this weirdo outsider and the second the meeting's over, I'm out of here. I'm going back to my house. I'm going to go watch TV. Like, I'm gonna, or I'm going to go see my friends. I'm not going to make any new friends. And, yeah, it's in and out of time, times. 
because it's funny at first I hated men's meeting altogether. And then when I was got sober in Oklahoma, someone encouraged someone <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, encouraged me to go to this men's meeting, yeah. but this men's meeting in Oklahoma, I mean, it wasn't all older guys, but it was like, it was mostly like kind of, kind of like good old boy Oklahoma, even like a lot of them were like had, you know, white collar jobs, like good yeah. paying job, but they had that kind of vibe. So it was still, it wasn't this like challenge. Like that one, it was incon- uncomfortable just to be around men all the time. Like, I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable around women. Mm-hmm. and um, But there still wasn't that, like, they were young, they were cool. That that wasn't until I moved. Honestly, I avoided it when I lived in L.A., too. It Same. wasn't until Same. I moved to New York that I really started going to, like, some of the, like, Williamsburg meetings yeah. and other meetings. Um, yeah, I avoided this meeting. I let my friends like influence me so hard. They were like, "Oh yeah, it's like a pissing contest." I was like, "All right, cool. I'm not gonna go." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you I had should. to speak at that meeting, and I said that from like the like yeah. when I was speaking, I was like, "Yeah, I used to judge the fuck out of you guys. <laughs> I didn't even know you guys. I was like talking shit, but you guys are actually cool. I'm gonna come back." <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that has been my experience too. Is like. Even when I'll go and I can like see the signs of like, it's like that thing, like I'll go and I'll, afterwards I'll just sit there and, and just be like, see, no one's even talking to me. They don't like me. And then now I can be like, did you talk to anyone? Exactly. Like, did you go up and say exactly. hi to anyone? Like, why is it on them? Like, yeah. you, you've been sober for a for while. A long like, time. Are what you? are you bringing to the table? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get outside your comfort zone. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, and I go in and out like, there are times still where I feel like I'm like, oh, maybe it is a little more bro. And this is like, it, not just to me, this is like kind of with my friends and, and just men in general. Sometimes I'm like, oh, am I too like sensitive? Am I more like, like things that I like about myself? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm a little more like less of that, like stereotypical manly, but I'll still then feel inferior for not being it or like mm-hmm. embarrassed. Like, but yeah, I relate. <laughs> like, I relate. Um, <laughs> Well, so, and then the last thing, the thing I did, like, I was watching, again, this, like, funny, weird, like, uh, it's Hard Knocks. You watch that show, Hard Knocks? Absolutely. Okay, so. It's on the Browns this year, right? Yeah, and it's, like, uh, in my friends here, I almost, like, secretly like sports. I don't tell, talk to anyone about it. I have to get up early. Wait, do you watch footballs on Sunday? Yes. I I, I watch college football, too. someone to watch football with, finally. (laughs) No one watches Like, no one watches football or basketball or anything. You have to go to a fucking bar, and that drives me insane. Or I get up, everyone else is somewhere else, and I watch it by myself at home. So, like, this on Saturday mornings. Oh, yes. (laughs) But it's like no one wants to hear about it. So like this Mark's morning I got up. His head like, eh, fuck that. <laughs> Mark's not into it. <laughs> but yeah, like I get up Saturday morning before my sister and, and they know, but it's like I don't want to burn I'm not gonna be like, you're gonna watch what I want to watch. So I get up Saturday morning, I make a bowl of oatmeal and a coffee, and I sit and I watch either football, like I watched the first episode of Hard Knocks, which is came out a while ago. But there's this, so it's a show. For anyone who doesn't watch it, it's a show about an NFL team preseason. Every year, HBO follows usually one team. The worst team. It's too. usually one of the worst teams because <laughs> a good team's like, no, you're not yeah. going to film us. The like, Patriots are like yeah, hell no. Yeah, but so they film them. It's a lot of behind the scenes stuff while they're getting ready for the scenes. Actually, and there's always like, it's it's interesting. My girlfriend, I was explaining it last night. And she was like, oh, so it's like Broadway. Like you audition and you try to make the the play, and if you don't, you get cut. I was like, yeah, sort of. Like. It, that is what it's like. Yeah. And so there is a lot of, you know, you see a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, but in this first episode, the head coach, I guess, 
in a two week period, and this happens like in the show, his brother dies, and then within two weeks, his mom dies in the first wow. episode. And he's the head coach of this team, and you, you know, and they like kind of address it, but you really see in this like hyper masculine state how they're trying to deal with this guy. Like that is a heavy load, um, and. It's just, you know, it's like you can tell they almost like didn't know how to include it in the show, but they had to because it's so, you know, this show is usually about sports and mm-hmm. contracts and who makes the team and we got to toughen up this. And literally, they at one scene before they're talking about how the team needs to get tougher. And then they showed this scene where like some of the uh, guys that work in the, the program, like the front office come to like say they're sorry and he's in there. And he, like, at the end of the scene, he's, like, breaks down. He starts crying. But they come in, and they there's, like, f- three of them and him, and they give him this weird four-man hug, almost like a huddle, sort of, where they've got their arms, and they're like, yeah, come on. And you can tell they just, like, don't. I mean, not most people don't know how to deal with that kind of heavy stuff, mm-hmm. but especially these, like, hyper-masculine men. And they give this hug, and it's sort of weird. And then it turned into this, like, pat fest where they're all just patting each other on the back. So, And I, like, it was like, you could tell they just didn't know what to do. And it was, I thought it was so interesting, that, like, simple thing that you and I have talked about, yeah. like, hugging another man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, actually, our guest is the one who really taught me how to hug a person, like, how you really give someone a hug. Remember when you gave me a hug the first time we, like, met? And I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like... Okay. <laughs> now, now it's just like mad normal. Yeah, because like, like, yeah, and you see, like even the team, they all get and they do that thing we do where we give the kind of like yeah, handshake, yeah. Hug, like handshake half hug, half and hug. and it's like because it's so like it's like just connect, like just like. So I thought that was really interesting watching that play out. I have two stories <laughs> about yesterday about hugs. So yesterday, my boy Liam, like after we were hanging out, he gave me a hug, uh-huh. and it was like one of those hugs where he was like. It was like too long, and I was like, "All right, let me go, let me go, let me go." Like, and then I went to dinner with my friend Britt and her boyfriend. Uh-huh. He's actually from Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, Probably and, know him. And uh, after we ate dinner and we were leaving, I was saying bye to her. I gave her a hug, and then I gave him a hug, and I was like, oh, "That's interesting." I gave him a hug. Walker taught me that. Walker taught me. I was like, yeah, give me a hug. Give me a hug. <laughs> Spreading the knowledge of how to hug another man. Yeah. This is mad funny. I was just like, he like reached his hand out. You're like, no, no, no. Well, all right. So we'll, we'll take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll talk to the man who inspired the hugging. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to Walls Down. Um, we're here with our guest. Uh, well, first of all, in case you don't know, even though there's no commercials, it'd be weird if you just jumped in the middle of a podcast. I'm Walker. I'm Mike. And uh, we're here with Mark. Um, so Mark is a f- dear friend of mine. I've known him for since I was like 13, um, but we'll get into more of that. But so, Mark, uh, first of all, just for people, you know, they can't see you, what, how uh, would you identify yourself? Uh, uh, my name is Mark D., if we throw out a last name initial. Um, I'm a white guy from the Midwest, just turned 55 
three days ago. So go August 15th. Happy birthday. birthday. Leo season. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Oh, man. <laughs> Real important to be a Leo. My yeah. mom was a Leo. We grew up with a lot of Leo pride in the family. So, yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm five foot nine <laughs> and a half, 180 on a good day. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so um, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, tell us, you know, what were, you know, you know the premise of this podcast about masculinity. What were kind of, you know, Where'd you grow up? What did you learn? What what were kind of the early messages you got about being a man and masculinity? Right. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say how cool this is that you're doing this. You know, we talked about it some months ago. Mm. You're like, yeah, I think I might do a podcast. And then, boom, here you are doing it. And uh, nice to meet you, Mike. That's and, uh, Mike, by the way. Mike is the one who uh, Mike, pushes me to do that. Awesome. Like, Mike awesome. Is, he's the driving force. Yeah. You guys got some cool equipment set up here. Yeah. You got the studio happening. So, yeah, yeah this is great. Well, and... Thank yeah. you very much for coming on and doing yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, thanks yeah. for asking me. Thanks for asking me. Um, um, I, I think the topic of masculinity is sort of, uh, I've always had an interesting relationship with that topic my whole life. Um, you know, from the Midwest, um, I always kind of joked that I grew up without the sports gene. You guys mm. were talking about football earlier, and mm. I'm just shaking my head because <laughs> I absolutely have not one ounce of sports gene in my body. I just, I don't care. I don't know what balls they use and what they do with them and what time of year it is. It's like, oh, dude, it's basketball season. You know, well, all right. And then all of a sudden it's football season. But I think, you know, I grew up, uh, my father was a golfer and he, that's all he cared about was playing golf and business. You know, the man was an amazing, you know, human being. He uh, took good care of the family, was just really an incredible man. Um, had new Cadillacs every three years. Mm. You know, he'd, we'd show up with a 1974 Cadillac Eldorado, and that was his car, man. He was wore gold chains, was like a, you know, gangster dude from Oklahoma City, like, we a deal in business. And I mean, but it was all legitimate business for the most part. But, mm. um, but like I said, no interest in sports. Golf with his th- was his thing. And so, you know, I joke about that, but I really think that may have, you know, influenced my definition of masculinity. Yeah. And the other thing... Um, I grew up as a dancer. I mean, uh, I, I was in tap dance class uh, when I was in fourth grade. And then I was in ballet and uh, was a ballroom dancer. So that was sort of a whole different spin on things, you know, with, with the lack of the sports gene mm-hmm. and then sort of cultivating this artist side. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, uh, I think, really influenced uh, my, my, my definition of masculinity. Did, did your dad or anyone kind of around you, I mean, I'm thinking like your dad with the golf, did he ever be like, why don't you uh, try golf or sports, soccer? No, not oh, at all. Okay. Not at all. I mean, they were very, very supportive with my dance career. Um, I'm sure he thought that was a little weird, but it's like, sure, if you want to tap mm. dance, go ahead. How you know? Your, oh, sorry. No, that's all right. Go ahead. How was your relationship with him growing up? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, he was, uh, he was always there, you know, uh, very present and... Uh, like I said, took good care of us, but he'd disappear on a Saturday all day long, go play golf and, mm. you know, come back home. But he was always at all my recitals and my events, and so he was supportive in that aspect. And, uh, you know, really, um, we had a fantastic relationship. But it wasn't really any, like, uh, I can remember kissing him on the mouth up until, I don't know how old I was, you know. We had mm. an affectionate relationship. My mom and my sister ran around naked in the house all the time, so mm. nudity was not an issue. Um, you know, after I got old enough to realize, it's like, Mom, put some clothes on, please. If you just walk from her bedroom to the kitchen, you know, completely naked, looking for God knows what, and then back to the bedroom. And so my sister learned that behavior. So, uh-huh. you know, um, so there was, it was an affectionate household. Mm. So there wasn't any kind of, um, you know, avoidance with, with physical contact. We were hug, hugs. You know, we were a hugging family, mm. an affectionate family. 
So I think that definitely. So yeah, you had that like model young as like that it was okay to do that. Right. And it was okay to for like a father to kiss his son and hug his son. Yeah, right, right. And then you throw David Bowie into the mix because you know, <laughs> 1972, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars comes out. Yeah. And I had an older cousin who was probably five or six years older than me, so he must have been 16, 17. This is in 1972, and this guy was my idol, man. He was beautiful. He was a ladies' man, had mm. all of these women, but he had long fingernails. He wore, you know, kiss ankle boots, like, you know, four, four-inch heels, yeah. grew out his hair, and had this crazy David Bowie mullet thing going on. So he, and this, he was on the south side of Oklahoma City. Wow. So for him to grow up, you know, in that environment, but yeah. just David Bowie changed his life. And so I think that sort of brought this effeminate side into my mm. reality. And that was my second joke, you know, without the sports gene. And then I was always like more keen on my feminine side, or I'm yeah. always in touch with my feminine side. Yeah. And so that was a big influence, you know, and that with the, like I said, throughout, you know, my dance career, I was teased a lot, of course, yeah. but, you know, there was a turning point when I was in seventh grade, I think, that sort of set my path, you know, uh, uh, sort of set me on a different path, I would say, that um, basically, uh, we'll call him Todd K, so we don't divulge his full identity. He, I don't know where, the guy's probably in prison right now, but uh, his older brother ended up burning their house down for insurance mm. money, and I mean, this guy was a mess. I've definitely found some compassion and forgiveness for this guy later when I think about his life but um you know so I'm, I'm dancing from fourth grade to seventh grade you know and uh they would always tease me and call me tappy pug hmm. was my nickname because i had a pug nose as a kid and i tap danced so <laughs> but the, but this todd would never it's not very creative not very creative <laughs> you know but the funny thing is he'd never call that to my face at first it's like we'd walk home together because we lived a couple blocks from each other and he's you know buddy buddy and then as he turns the corner and i'm walking away he would scream at the top of my lungs see you tomorrow tappy pug huh and it just got under my skin, you yeah. know, then it progressed, you know, and then in seventh grade, we were in gym class and, you know, you sit in your, your squads or your rows when you're doing exercises and such. And so he comes in one morning and uh, he's kind of talking to himself and he says, ah, I think I'll go get a drink from the water fountain. And he walks past me and pretends like he trips and he just kicks me in the back as hard as he can. You know, and this, then the tappy pug had been increasing. And then he's like, well, I guess I'll go back and sit down in my squad. And he walks past me again, acts like he trips and kicks me again. Mm. And I, something inside of me just snapped, and I just said, knock it off, you pussy. Mm. And he turned around and just slapped me in the face and knocked my glasses off. I wore glasses in second grade, so add that to the mix of my femininity, yeah, dancing, yeah. David Bowie molded haircut, and horn rim glasses. And so, you know, I just, I just turned to him and I said, no one knocks my glasses off. Oh. Pussy. oh, he said, nobody calls me a pussy and slaps me in the face, knocks my glasses off. And I just stood up and said, no one knocks my glasses off. And something snapped, and I beat the shit out of him. I mean, I just started punching him, punching him. He was backing up. His nose just exploded in blood. And I don't know where that came from, mm. you know, because I definitely was not that type. I wasn't aggressive yeah. or masculine, you know, whatever. And uh, neither of us got in trouble, really. He just excused himself and left for the day. And the, the, luckily, the coach was in her office before class had started. And I just sort of sat back down and went, whoa, what the fuck just happened? Whoa. But that kind of changed everything. I mean, he quit teasing me. Everyone kind of just left me alone. Mm. And so it was sort of like I could, I could do my own thing, but not – and know I could protect myself if I needed to. But, I mean, I didn't all of a sudden start working out and pumping weights and, you know, mm. become this, you know, super jock dude. But I just kept doing my thing. But I knew, wow, I've got that inside of me. If I ever need to, yeah. you know, pull it out and snap, I'm, I'll do it again. Yeah. You know, so, so that was kind of my um, relationship or definition throughout 
my uh, you know younger years yeah. of masculinity because it wasn't it wasn't an issue. I didn't grow up with the father, you know, and I knew kids like that that were very yeah. you know uh, masculine. To just, that's the word to use, I guess, because they were in sports. There was a lot of you know locker talk going on, which always bothered me as a kid. Just you know, in high school, even to hear guys talking about women like that was yeah. just um, I didn't do it. Didn't you know? I just uh, it, it some something about that kind of locker room talk just really bothered me yeah you know so um i don't know so that's why i i was thinking about this topic when you asked when i knew this what what the what the topic was and and how to define it and how to talk about it in my life was kind of you know a little little challenging yeah well and a little bit different to what someone might think of like oklahoma city in the 70s and like right um well so it's that's really interesting because it's like you know, it wasn't like that thing of like, oh, I was different, and so then I my life was hell, and everyone like tortured me, like because it really seems like. But you had this, the way to make it be okay that you were different was that people know you could be violent, right? Yeah. And that's like, right? You know, yeah. like we talk about that, like this idea of violence and masculinity. And it's like not, you know, not because they were like, you know what, like it's okay for a kid to be different. Like, you know, he, he can do what he wants. It's like, oh no, he'll hurt you. Right. If yeah. you like mess with him. Yeah. Right, right. right. So, well, so, and then how did that, like, did that uh, kind of idea, how did it continue? Like into high school and kind of after that, did was it something you thought about a lot? Like, oh, I'm this guy, like, did you surround yourself with people that were similar? Did you, were you kind of always this kind of other? Well, yeah, no, I definitely just uh, joined the, the, you know, drama club and kept in, kept on with my dance, was just, you know, really interested in musical theater and, and movies and, you know, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, mm. Donald O'Connor. And, and through that, I discovered kind of this style that these guys were, these guys were super cool. They were studs in my book, you know, sharp dressers, mm. Always, you know, uh, had women and things like that. So it was sort of like I, I got into the drama school, just did my own thing, mm. and sort of separated myself from those groups that I, I I knew would sort of there was some friction there, or I I just would stay away, mm. you know, because I was accused of being you know gay throughout high school, and it didn't really bother me. Yeah. So so really, I think I just sort of associated with people that were like minded, stayed away from people I just felt were. You know, just not my not my type of people. Not you mm. know, because I definitely was not interested in sports, and and I knew who the jocks were and who the the aggressors, so to speak, were. And I just find, found a way to stay away from them, and they didn't really seek me out or bother me, you know, mm. much like that. Yeah, it's interesting listening to you. Like your relationship with your dad, like <clears throat> sounds like what I'm listening to gave you, gave you that security in yourself to just be who you are, right. be who you were as a kid growing up. So you didn't feel like you had to like fit in with certain people or certain crowds. Right. And that's cool. When I look back at my life, I didn't have that sort of relationship with my dad. So I was always searching for outside things like who could I hang out with? Who could I fit in mm. with? Or what like mold can I like adopt to like become that? So it's like cool listening to you and like yeah. you had that like security as that approval. Yeah, kind of. yeah. Yeah. From your dad and from your mom and like just right. to be who you were. Right, right, right. Yeah, I definitely felt that, you know, yeah. because I didn't have to um to to seek out their approval. Like I said, it was just already yeah. there. They mm -hmm. were very supportive of what I did and, and, and I and I think it just came natural for them. I mean my dad was thirty two, I think, when I was born. So he was a little older. He wasn't a young father 
which might make a difference in you know some father-son relationships. Yeah. He was sort of set in his ways, and he was sort of had a style of his own. And I think he grew up uh, sort of in a similar situation. My grandfather was there. It was that we kind of lived in a bubble because we had a family business mm-hmm. that was isolated. You know, my dad was in business with his brother, my uncle. We hung out with our cousins all the time. So we had sort of this enclosed bubble of you know family business that kept us isolated from a lot of you know other things. And I think that sort of helped with the the support and the approval mm. and things like that that we just sort of were you know always there for each other mm. well that that's a really interesting point i hadn't even like thought about that about how like we and whether it's uh, actual or just perceived that way that like you don't get approval from your father or your parents how you do go seek it out somewhere else right. and and having that effect and like comfort in who you are like even if the people around you didn't because I, I mean again yeah I know I wasn't that way I was mm-hmm. like I wanted and and my dad I'm sure approved I mean I'm he's probably told me but for whatever reason I perceived it as like I wanted his approval more and so then I did seek that out I would like I would be whoever I thought people wanted me mm-hmm. to be and right. something I've always since I've known you since I was a kid like admired about you was that you were just this different kind of like you know wearing three piece suits and you know having tattoos and all this stuff and um right. in oklahoma city too like it was you were just so different from all the dads i knew and all the, like older people and so um and i had never really kind of put that part together um well and you said kind of you know a lot of your your best friend was a woman and this idea of like maybe men kind of their reaction to it other men the jocks this kind of what was what was your relationship with women and friends you know sexual relations like what i mean is like was that a little different than the stereotypical? Um, yeah, yeah. I um, I didn't want to date girls at my high school hmm. for some reason. I just didn't want to get involved in that clique. So I had dear friends that were women in high school, but the girls I dated were actually from different schools that I'd met through uh, my job or things like that. Hmm. So it wasn't until I was like maybe a senior that I actually went out with a girl from high school hmm. from my high school so that was kind of you know i think i dated older women as well was hmm. a big issue i um actually at 15 lost my virginity to a 21 year old who um just happened to be my cousin's girlfriend the cousin that i idolized <laughs> who was the david bowie alice uh-huh. cooper rock star that i love so much he decided that it was time for me <laughs> to lose my virginity and he said here's my girlfriend and she really thinks you're cute and so he set the whole thing up, and, uh. and that kind of blew my mind, you know, yeah. but she was into it, you know, it was uh, 1978, I think, at this point, 79. Yeah. So yeah, so my relationship with women was different, yeah. you know, because I never felt like I had to, uh, you know, be the aggressor with women or mm. pursue women, that it was just sort of a natural thing, you know, maybe because mm. of the introduction with my cousin or the... I had relationships uh, with women as friends, so yeah. there was never any kind of, you know, uh, um, like, uh, what do you, I guess just the pursuit yeah. that, that I think leads to sort of masculinity of the, I'm, sure. I'm a man, you're a woman, I'm going to, you know, go after you. This like hunt kind the of hunt thing. The hunt thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For yeah, me, yeah. it was just, uh, didn't, it was a very natural process. Huh. Yeah. And like being, because that also, again, seems counter to like that sort of traditional midwest oklahoma kind of thing of like you know boyfriend and girlfriend and wear my ring or my jacket and let's go steady and this kind of like being in more alternative kind of 
situations and spaces like and so did that i i I mean i kind of know but did that what was it like once you got out of the house kind of got out of you know went to college what what did it look like then um uh i let's see where to start um (laughs) (laughs) well at 17 i loaded my car and drove out to los angeles i was like ready to get out i I planned on going to ucla actually (laughs) which is kind of the funny story but i had never applied for school or i thought i could just walk on yeah yeah. i really thought that would be a great school yeah told my folks i said i'm leaving and i'm going to california yeah so uh so i did i didn't get into ucla of course because that was (laughs) i forgot to apply didn't have any money either which is important But um, I actually had some encounters with men that were, um, um, you know, kind of scared me a bit because they were, you know, I had I had worked for this guy in, when I was in Los Angeles that owned a little beachfront property. It was a three-story hotel, and I'd been working for it. It was he and his mother that owned the place, and um, he was a really handsome, you know, dude, and uh, was very attentive to me and liked me. And then he made his move one night, mm. and um, you know, I was seventeen at the time, and. It was kind of, I think I handled myself well. It kind of like just um, told him, I said, I'm, I don't know where you got this impression, but I'm not interested in you that way. But, you know, it was just being myself. I was like, yeah, man, you're cool. And we'd mm-hmm. hug and hang out. And, you know, he was my boss or my boss's son or whatever. So mm-hmm. it was sort of very uncomfortable. And I, I, I left after that, you know, because I didn't really know how to, how to um, you know, interpret that whole mm. thing and i actually had two more counters like that throughout my college career mm. where there was a professor that did the same thing wow. to me. and um he was very interested and very in sort of a mentor and uh he was uh and i thought he was great i'd meet him after hours and we'd talk and you know hang yeah. out together and then he made a move on me and i was sort of like just shocked mm. you know so i don't know if there's some naivete going on with that possibly because mm. i was Definitely not the masculine type, you know, maybe come off, you know, a, a little too whatever, effeminate or, uh-huh. and, and so I think that opened the doors for some of these guys. And, and, you know, it didn't, I don't know that it sort of rocked my world. I'm like, well, that was really fucked up and, you know, just moved on. Yeah. But, um, you but, know, then go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting. It's sort of like this uniqueness was kind of misunderstood kind of on both sides of it. You know what I mean? Where it's like right. my, maybe by the jocks or whatever, it's kind of like one thing, but then also from like from like a gay man being like, oh, so, you know, and it's like this idea of being a straight but more fluid, mm-hmm. effeminate, or, or just like kind of free with uh, connection because it's just so ingrained in us. Like, oh, you must be gay. Like even as a gay man, I'm like, oh, that must be not I me. Mean, but like if as a gay man would see it as... Right. Oh, you're gay. Like, and right. so that idea does show how like hardwired those ideas are. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, so, well, let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to hear kind of like, because uh, I want to get to all of it. So, but, but let's take a break real quick. And then when we come back, maybe we'll talk uh, late 20s and early and what happened later then. And then what, you know, the next stage. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. down podcast i'm mike i'm walker and what you hear in the background is my roommate <laughs> she's in the shower right now yeah, so. we got a little shower this is a multi-purpose studio so uh hopefully it just sounds like the soothing sounds of a nice rainstorm it's a meditation <laughs> so uh mark you were, so we were kind of uh, at um you know you were talking about college and 
kind of some of your experiences there. Um, just p- pick up wherever you want, like next, what was kind of going on, even still then or after or whatever. Was there any time where you sort of hunkered down into like your version of uh, I'm this kind of man? Did those thoughts come through your mind? Like, Oh, yeah. Um, n- uh, no, not really. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to sort of pick up, I guess, is what... Uh, I guess that's a good word for it because I started picking up. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that was uh, my introduction to college was um, just like full blown into the the college party scene. Yeah, you know, within the drama school mm. in, in Oklahoma, along with a lot of mi- like minded, you know, fun loving promiscuous people. Mm. Um, you know, so kind of when my sexuality exploded. Yeah. you know, uh, um, when when my uh, addiction exploded mm. i guess if we if we if we go there but it was sort of yeah it was uh the glory years it was um i had um had been working between uh i guess i'd moved back from la started a job at a restaurant which was this wacky restaurant in oklahoma city and the people i met were already in the drama school in oklahoma and so i was sort of had an early introduction into the scene but it was um it was an orgy basically yeah. uh, for, for the first couple of years because <laughs> the drama school was out of control like i said i i didn't have to pursue women there were women that would come up to me and said i'm gonna fuck you tonight mm. And I was like, okay, all right, um, <laughs> let's show me where to go. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so it was, uh, and my wife knows that. She, she's heard that story. If you listen out there, L from Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know how anonymous we're going to remain here. Yeah, but, um, it's, it's up to you. you. <laughs> anyway, so we, we sort of were definitely anti-sports uh, in college as well. I lived in a great location near the stadium, mm. and so we would park cars and make a ton of money. Yeah. And we just We had a big corner lot. And all the fans would come in on the weekends for the games and whatnot. And so we'd, you know, charge five bucks a car. And they say, "You're not going to block me in, are you?" Oh no, 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 no! Just pull up close to the fence. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And we would just lie our ass off and just cram these cars in there. Had a wad full of cash, and then we'd just head the opposite direction in like this sea of red. All the fans are walking uh. south to the stadium, and we go back to the apartment get as stone as we can and just head north to the pizza <laughs> with a load of cash and just stay away from the rest of the day yeah, yeah. to all the cars that found their way out. Yeah. Um, I mean, Oklahoma <laughs> football game day at yeah. OU is like an institution. It oh is like God, a yeah. crazy thing. Yeah. I've been down there and yeah. it's, yeah, it's <laughs> a no, scene. Nothing like being stoned off your ass walking in a sea of red in the opposite <laughs> direction and, you know, talk about anti, anti-masculinity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very clear <laughs> image there. Yeah. Yeah. So for good. Sure. For so sure. good, but um, um, so yeah, I uh, I guess sort of uh, you know just kind of went through college doing the same things I did. Uh, ended up uh, meeting a woman, a girl at college who uh, I became very important to me. You know, it was someone I think for the first time I had experienced, you know, maybe true love, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, or, or someone that I was I really felt a connection there that was more than just anything I'd ever experienced before. Yeah. And um, there might have been a little bit of, you know, masculinity pop in there because I definitely sort of wanted to prove to Mm. myself that I was, you know, I could sort of, you know, be there, uh, uh, sort of be what she thought. You know, I didn't really know what she wanted in a man, per se, but Mm. um, I knew she was in a sorority at the time. And and, uh, so I knew that maybe things had to be a little different for me. So I don't know if if to sort of throw that in there. Yeah, for sure. But... um, we ended up moving to New York together, uh, stayed in and out of New York for a few years, and, and um, 
I guess I don't really know where to go with this in the. Well, well, I guess my well one since right. you say that that a little bit pop up. Do you remember doing things anything differently or like oh because it was almost like because you've talked sort of about it, it was like oh you know people show up we you know have a good time this we have sex we whatever whereas this was someone like I want to go I want to right pursue this person what do you remember acting differently than you normally would or i bought a motorcycle <laughs> that might have been all right you know my my first introduction yeah. to you know something that's outside of what i would normally do yeah, so yeah, yeah that was actually when and i had this long life love with motorcycles after that mm. you know even to this day but that may have been a big shift in 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 my personalities yeah yeah thinking about that and then you know taking her for motorcycle rides and that sort of became you know, form of masculinity for sure. Yeah. Of, you know, being a biker dude or whatever. Well, so, okay. So you moved to New York, you guys moved to New York together and you, I, I mean, I, I kind of know your story, but like you, I know you kind of pursue, you guys kind of go back and forth, but I, I'm really interested in like, what was it like when you sort of realize I want to be with this person, I want to make it happen, I want to make it work, like what did you, what did you feel like you needed to do? What did you feel like, you know, like what would make that happen? Right, right. Well, I guess it's hard to tell that story without talking about recovery, you know, basically. You're welcome because, to talk about Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Cause we that's, talk about it plenty. <laughs> okay, all right, yeah, because that's definitely uh, a huge part of the story. Yeah. Because even though there was... This connection with this woman, my my alcoholism was spiraling out of control, you mm. know, or just or just revving up, you know, and spiraling out at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and and so I think um, she, without really saying so, it, uh, moved away from me. Got tried to get away, you know, without really knowing even what why she was doing it until mm-hmm. until much later. And so I just sort of just continued spiraling without her, but always had an interest in trying to get back together with her and, mm. and find this woman because she moved away she moved out of the country i moved away moved out of the country for a while but we always sort of had this like this six-year relationship mm. of sort of knowing where each other were you know at the time yeah in 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 the meantime i did move back to oklahoma and i was still you know drinking as hard as possible but at at one point i knew that she was back in the united states and I had seen her the summer of 1989, actually, and was I was just a mess. I'd gone to jail three times that summer. Mm. I was really out of control, and she was in town for a wedding, and um, she told me basically that I, I don't think I could ever be with you like this, you mm. know. And that just sort of set the wheels in motion. That I thought, all right, now I, I need to do something different. Mm. And that's when I uh, actually white knuckled sobriety for a year to just see if I could quit drinking, see if I could quit, you know, using drugs and. And prove to her that I could do this because that's really what I wanted was uh-huh. to get to be with this woman, yeah. you know, to have this relationship. So um, basically, it worked, you know, for a short time. Yeah, because I uh, she was in Seattle and I moved, went up there to to talk with her and showed her I was sober and we had some discussions and she wound up coming back to Oklahoma in September of mm. that same year and we got married two years after that. Mm. Um, but I only stayed sober for. I guess about a year and a half, 18 months, and then we got married, and I started drinking again, and off to another When chapter. did you start drinking again? Uh, on our wedding night, That's actually. Like, yeah, oh. yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and maybe this is, because I'm thinking about this kid who grew up and was always kind of, he like grew into this kind of alternative, different kind of always 
I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go over. I'm going to drive out to LA. I'm going to move out of the country. I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to dance where everyone else is playing football. I'm going to hang out with these, you know, alternative people and have this free kind of free love kind of thing. Um, and then what was it like to, you know, what, what was this shift of like, now I'm married, I'm going back and working, you know, were you still doing acting, dancing? Were you doing all this? Like, you know, kind of more this more almost into this stereotypical kind of thing. What was that like? Right. Um, well, I really embraced fatherhood, I think, was what became really important mm. to me. Is that I, I quit dance, but I was still involved in theater, still did some local acting, mm. and started to work for my father. So I got into the family business at this time. And, you know, a year after we got married, or yeah, year two years after my son was born. Mm. And so I was real excited about that. I mean, it was... I I was surprised how excited I was that my firstborn was a son, mm. you know, which kind of caught me off guard because I first I thought, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. No offense, Eliza. Um, <laughs> love you too, darling. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, this weird kind of thing. It's like, wow, it, it, I do want a son. Mm. And I don't know what that was all about. I really, you know, I, I sort of um, had a great relationship with him growing up. You know, we, we spent a lot of time together. Um, and he, you know, uh, was just like this joy in my life that I, I didn't, I don't know how to explain it. I didn't feel like I had to, um, to be anything different for him because I was, I was 30 when he was born. Hmm. My wife and I were both just so excited to have kids because we'd already been traveling for years. We were both sort of just spent, you know, hmm. physically and spiritually. We, we had really embraced settling down because... We were tired, and so we were very excited about parenthood, and it just sort of became a, a natural process. And um, you know, I, we thought about getting him involved in sports, you know, and he sort of played a little bit of you know little league baseball or some things like that, but didn't really stick. He was he started playing music and got very interested in playing you know classical guitar. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so so it, things did shift for sure. That I um, I felt like there was you know turning thirty was. A big thing for me, you know, because I wasn't in my 20s anymore. All of a sudden, uh, I had to look back and think, you know, I, I, it's maybe time to do something different. Time to, you know, I don't know, uh, not the term be a man comes to, you know, mind for some reason. Yeah. It's like, you know, because there are now there are responsibilities and yeah. started working for my father was a big, it was a big influence because he wanted me to take over his company and, and sort of step into that side of the business. Because I'd worked there for about a year, and then I didn't like it and quit, and then I came back on board, and he was sort of like, that was maybe when his masculinity stepped in, or his fatherhood is like, oh, here's father and son business. Mm. And, uh, you know, so that sort of was a shift for me. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, And do you, so you said like you didn't really change, and and maybe you do or you don't, but do you remember any moments... Because I don't think we we haven't had anyone else who is a father and a yeah, father to a son. Do you remember any moments of like, this is a thing I need to handle as the father, or I need to do this kind of thing? You know, because you had your daughter. How old was Henry? Or he was son? five when she was born. Okay, yeah, so, was five five, so you you know you have two kids at some. And right. do you remember any of those moments where like I I play this role and my wife plays this role, or I need to do the X or. Well, um, maybe not openly, but mm. um, Lori didn't work when the kids were born, mm-hmm. you know, because I was lucky that I made enough money to support the family. And I sort of remember 
you know, having that idea of the of the provider of of mm-hmm. the, the father with the job and you know supporting the family. And I liked it that she didn't work. I liked the idea of of having her, you know, as a wife. I mean, it wasn't like the barefoot and pregnant kind of mentality, yeah. but it was just to me, it was cool that she could be with the kids, mm-hmm. be uh-huh. home with the children. I would work, bring you know, bring home the paycheck, and, yeah. and so yeah, that is definitely definitely a take on I think those roles of husband and wife yeah. that you know now it's it's very difficult for you know both couple, both you know husband and wife to, to they both have to work i think to support the family yeah. it's a big difference so i felt lucky with that but i, I never you know even Lori and i will talk about things like this to this day that she'll she cooks my lunch now which is great you know and i kind of told her i said i know this isn't in your job description because we never we got married and had this family but there was never any definition of like you're going to be the homemaker uh. i'm going to be the the breadwinner you know we we always kind of tiptoed around that because i never wanted to assume that that's her role and yeah. i think that may have just been how we both sort of grow up grew up you know sort of with this looser idea of of what a marriage might be, hmm. you know, but, but like I said, I don't, we've never really openly had those discussions. It hasn't hmm. been an issue with us. And, and, you know, and I, and it's been not, it's been challenging, I think, uh, to not really want to define those roles openly hmm. because, you know, it, it just sort of wasn't in my job description that I'm going to work and be a father and take and have this family. That wasn't really the, 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 the plan, you know? So yeah, like, so I guess when you, the next kind of thing, the next chapter I really see is like, if it's okay, like when you got sober and I'm wondering like, what was the build up to that? And what, what, you know, I'll share like for me, like I know when I got sober, I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, after getting sober, I was like, I'd never felt fully like a man. Like, and that was a big piece of it. It's like, I felt, especially as it got worse and worse and I felt, and and I don't know that this is everyone's story, but for me, it was like, I was a 27 year old child. Like I was, uh, you know, maybe a part of that was that ingrained thing of like, you're weak if you can't stop or what, why is this even a choice or anything like that? And so, and I guess, and then when I got sober, that thing of exploring men's meetings and that kind of thing there so there was a lot of that wrapped up in it and i'm wondering i mean i know you've shared some of that mike yeah. too yeah, like, yeah yeah when i got so i mean when i got sober it was like i was a boy so i was like <laughs> oh yeah i'm gonna go get sober now <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean but, i didn't know but so as someone who was owned a home had two kids had a wife you know was basically uh, you own your own company you know like what was that like at that point was it different was it right well yeah i, I think um a big part of my spiral was the fact that I traveled a lot, you know, uh, in the early days of our, our our marriage with the kids. You know, I with my job, I was out, you know, three or four months out of the year off and on, be out for a couple of weeks. We did a lot of trade shows, retail shows for our business. And um, when I was traveling, I drank like crazy, you know, I binge drink. Mm. And I remember just thinking... You know, I'm a good provider, but I can do what the fuck I want to when I'm on the road. Mm. I'm going to drink like I want to drink. I'm going to mm. do what I want to do. But when I get home, I'll sort of, you know, toe the line, try to be the good dad. And and I did for many years. You know, I'd binge drink like crazy, come back home and sort of run the straight and narrow. And then those lines just started getting blurry, you know, started getting, you know, crossing over. And I couldn't really keep those uh, those parallel lives separate anymore. And, uh, and that's sort of what, you know, like... 
I, I um, was proud of being a father and a provider and all those things, but I still had this little boy mentality. It's like, uh. I'm going to do what the fuck I want to. I, you know, I deserve this. Yeah, I deserve yeah, to do whatever I want to. So that, that was, the, I think, the part of manhood that I wasn't really ready to embrace mm-hmm. was like, um, you know, just the sacrifice, I guess, mm. if you will, that you, at some point, being a father and a man is sort of understanding that you're not this little spoiled kid anymore that gets to do what the fuck you want to. But uh-huh. if, if you take on responsibilities, You've taken on those responsibilities, and so yeah. it's your job to 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 be the best at doing what. Mm. The, and that does mean sort of not getting your way all the time. It, you don't get to do what the hell you want to do because you've made this choice yeah. and you have these obligations. And I think it's a lot of you know fathers get scared of that and they run away from it because it's it's you know. And I I ran away from it. I happened to just stay in one place <laughs> yeah. doing it. You know, I didn't physically run away, but yeah. mentally I I did run away. And sort of the the catalyst was when my father died. I was 35 years old, and um, we had just, my son was, how old was my son when he died? Probably um, not, like five or six years old. No, Eliza was just born. Ten. Yeah, so he, no, Henry was 10 when I sobered up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was 2004, but my dad died in 99, and Henry was born in 94, oh, okay. so he was five, six years old. So I we had just started really embracing this new level of my relationship with my father. Mm-hmm. He was a grandfather, and now we had like three generations of boys, and I was sort of just opening the doors of of what this meant and 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 was really excited about it you know i i am still drinking pretty heavily but trying to moderate but when i was with my dad and my son and we were spending time together it was just really amazing hmm. you know and my father started to open up to me in ways he hadn't before you know he'd always been like i said there for me and affectionate but he wasn't a real like open hearty kind of guy or open you know uh, open story open book yeah kind of like i've been with my kids yeah. i've just been this open book but my dad sort of was you know sort of reserved and didn't tell a lot of stories about his past and things like that but he was sort of just starting to to talk to me and tell me stories mm. and then he died so that was sort of why i i think i spiraled out of control there from 99 to 04 and just really questioned everything that i was doing of like you know where am i in this relationship you know who am i as a father where am I, you know, very confused and very, very displaced. And, and uh, you know, and then at, uh, in 2004, Lori kind of gave me the choice. She had been going to another program to, the, uh, you know, enrich her life and <laughs> do some research. And so, uh, you know, that was July of 04. And then October of 04, she kind of gave me the ultimatum mm-hmm. and said, listen, buddy, either me and the kids or you're going to have to quit drinking. Yeah. And I had to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. I get it. I get it, though. Yeah. I get it. It's like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Can I, can I, can I, think can I come back to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you got the answer right now, Let's or negotiate. can I come back? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let me exactly. get 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so, and obviously we know the choice you made, because yeah. you're sitting here with us, and we know kind of the history. Um so, kind of before we take a break, I, w- I want to kind of hear what was that, that uh, again, for me, when I first w- started facing everything without being able to drink, without being able to do drugs, like, I was pretty raw. And, and you know, t- I was, you know, living in a sister's closet working 10 hours a week or something, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, so you had a lot of responsibility. And yeah. so, like, what was that, for just that first early time like? Right, right. It was terrifying. I mean, it really was because, like, I think being raw is a good way to describe it. Yeah. Because I had identified for so many years with just drinking. You know, all yeah. the energy I spent, 
um, you know, the people I hung around with. It was all part of that identification. But, I mean, I got super lucky going to an early men's meeting. I mean, because I was kind of, we talked earlier about how you fucking hate these guys and yeah. they're all full of shit. But the men's meeting I went to, I, I just managed to sit there and stay because I didn't know who I was. You know, I, although I had the title of a father and the title of a provider, mm. you know, I didn't really know what that meant at all because I'd been lying for so many years, you know, about my drugs and alcohol that, you know, what else had I been lying about the whole time? You know, I yeah. felt like kind of yeah. a fraud in all this. And so I think just having some some older men with solid sobriety who just talk to you about honesty and willingness and, and, and what that means to be as a human being in, you know, and, and in society, all of a sudden you embrace your responsibilities or you, you realize that, that, uh, this is the, that's the truth, you know, that, that being honest and open allows you to sort of cultivate and, and nourish uh, a spirituality or an identity of someone that, that I, that I wasn't, but wanted to be, you know, I realized I was still this 17 year old kid trapped in a 41 year old's body. Mm. Cause I, you know, with the, the night that, you know, in July I was uh, stark naked, you know, covered in mud, turn up the yellow pages to start a fire to mar- roast marshmallows for my little kids, you know, cause that was me. I was the wild, crazy party man. Yeah. You know, just, um, uh, they, they called me caveman for short. Cause I was just, you know, insane with, yeah. with just, you know, trying to push the envelope of, mm. You know, having some fun, and so yeah. Once you kind of come to this, you know, um, this uh, understanding that your identity really is, you know, kind of based on your whole mm. life experience, sort of based on your upbringing. You know, what mm. you know, because I looked into all of that of, of my family history and my my mother, father, those relationships that that was a big part of my identity, and and a part of you know even masculinity of how you how you raised affects you on on all those levels and so i think just having you know some meetings and some sponsorship and people that had tried this thing out had done something different and and that's what really helped me to sort of Mm. start rebuilding or building this new a new character you know to to start building you know on on what a foundation that i had that i didn't want to strip it all away but something you know that i could get back to basics and and sort of work it from there totally nice All right, well, let's take a break, and then we'll come back for our last segment. And, uh, yeah, well, uh, I, I want to hear a little bit about today, what's going on, like, currently, and then we've got some questions for you as well. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, all right, so welcome back to Walls Down Podcast. I'm Walker. I'm Mike. We're here with Mark talking about masculinity, talking about fatherhood and sobriety and marriage. And uh, so, you know, I, I kind of want to hear what are your ideas today about your masculinity, about masculinity in, in general? Oh, man. You know, uh, I think what I'm realizing now it, in you know, my mid-50s is that it just fucking doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody sees me. <laughs> Nobody really looks. You know, my wife and I both talk about that. It's like we're just this a ghost to this younger generation. <laughs> these people, you know, these zombies walking wow. on the streets of New York with their iPhones in their hands, you know, texting, the, whatever they do on those thingies. Mm-hmm. That they, they don't even know. They don't care. And so I think that's sort of a... It's a, it's a revelation that really... Um, Identity is very subjective. I'm very comfortable in my skin right now mm. that I'm sort of, 
I'm okay just sitting on the couch with my feet propped up and then I do things when I need to do things. I don't feel this, you know, drive to, you know, do uh, just to prove myself in any way, which is a very comfortable place to be, you mm. know, and I think, um, you know, just from the, the news on, on pronoun identities and all this uh, re-genderifa, gender genderifa, the fluidity of the gender. Fluidity now? of gender. Yeah. Thank you. Not not gentrification, but no. gender gentrification. Uh, you know that I think that's really really um, challenging or, or really mm. confusing. That I like Lori and I both kind of don't get it. It, it you know it's sort of um, I don't understand a they compared to a he she, but it's mm. it, it's a whole nother level of 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 identity of masculinity and femininity mm. and you know and like I said I I teased all the time that I was you know, a lesbian trapped in a man's body. Because mm. I just sort of love women, but I was very effeminate. I, yeah, I was yeah. very, you know, gentle and soft, and I had no problem with that. And I wasn't gay, mm. but I definitely, you know, I liked it when men were attracted mm. to me, but that was sort of, you know, where I'd left it at that. So, so but to, today with masculinity, I think there, that, um, there is some challenges that people have to face that it, it's um i think there's there's still always going to be that really super aggressive side of masculinity yeah you know in you know not just in oklahoma but everywhere when yeah, you've got totally you know these these guys that are just all about the all about the game not yeah. necessarily you know a sports game but that whole side of, of machismo is is and so that's uh, we've got a long way to go with yeah. that i think but personally i'm pretty you know pretty pretty cozy in in my own masculine slash feminine side of things yeah yeah so before we ask you the questions um i i guess my kind and it's kind of maybe is the same sort of question uh we're gonna do something cool hopefully if he'll do it but next week we're gonna have mark's son come on here and tell his story and so wait which son henry eliza's their daughter Oh, oh yeah. sorry. One son, okay. one daughter. Yeah. I only okay. said their yeah. names because you already said them. So, That's okay. So, Henry, right. They yeah. want to be mentioned. Come on. Oh, they do. <laughs> so I guess here, my, my last question for you, these other ones is, what do you hope your son learned about masculinity from you? Oh, Lord. Um, that's a good question. That's a really good that's question. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, hmm. I guess the uh, to take care of your feminine side, maybe is 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 something that I think a real uh, true masculinity maybe is is a there's a balance obviously a balance yes. between masculine yeah. and feminine so yeah. and and he's really gentle you know mm-hmm. he he's a he's got a great heart mm-hmm. and, and so hopefully he has learned that that he he um, is not macho in any way but he's solid in his mm-hmm. own in his own personality in his own you know, in his own body. And so I, I hope that that's what he learned from me is just that, you know, that it is very fluid, even, yeah. you know, whether you change your pronoun or not, that's up to you. But I think the definition of masculinity and femininity is, is, um, wide open. Totally. And it is a balance of the two. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. I'm I, learning that right now. Yeah. That's what we've talked about <laughs> on here is like the more I've explored what masculinity means to me, like yeah. what you said, like it's, it's fluidity is mass, like more masculine to be wherever you will kind of, even day to day, like where you fall to be like confident that it's okay and that you're not hurting anyone else and that you're, right. you're in not hurting yourself. Right. Right. And I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. for me, like setting aside gender roles, 
I'm a human being at the end of the day. Right. And I want to feel all facets of my feelings. Right, right. And, and we should be able to do anything. I mean, I, yeah. I repaired, uh, you know, motorcycles for years. I've restored two houses. Yeah. I know how to, my, I know my way around a power tool. Yeah. But right now I'm growing my thumbnail out and it's about two inches long just because I can. <laughs> I want to see how long I can get that thing. <laughs> you know, so why the fuck so not? Good. You know, I, I, had, so good. I had long hair and short hair throughout my life. Yeah, There's yeah. things that don't have to identify that they're not. Yeah. It's not a physical identification. Yeah. For sure. Well, so, all right. So we, we've uh, started ending our, our episodes with these six questions, five questions. Uh, six. There's one we didn't write down. Yeah, that's right. And I remember it. So. Sick. Okay, so you go first. I always have to count. Cause I, right. do, you, do you remember the last one? I don't remember but the I last do, one. I do. So you go first. Yeah, right? yeah. So question number one, Mark, is uh, when are you scared? What am I scared? Um, I guess when I start thinking about uh, you know, retirement or job security or, you know, that 20 years down the road, <laughs> you know, that kind of gets me a little scared. Yeah. You know, I don't, uh, I don't live in that too long, but it scares me. Sure. So right. like security kind of thing? Security, or? yeah. Some financial yeah. security. Yeah. Because it's, it's impossible, you know. I, it really is. For a lot of people, it's going to be a scary world in 20, mm-hmm. 30 years financially. For sure. Yeah. So second question, uh, what do you need from other people? What do I need from other people? Should I repeat the questions every time? You, like that? That, hey, <laughs> yeah, if you want, yeah. yeah. It's up to you. It helps me. Um I I like to be, you know, validated, noticed, and, you know, that I don't have to be, you know, it's it's nice to get complimented Mm. or when people notice things. It's like, oh, you got your hair cut today. That looks Mm. nice. Because I try to do that to other people. You know, I I notice those things. I I notice them naturally, I think, maybe through my training, my theater training or things like that. I notice things about people, and Mm. so I like to point them out. Yeah. Because it's, you know, people like to be complimented. So I kind of like that from other people. I don't know if I need it. You know, yeah. but I, I like it. You know, it's funny. I was going to give you a shout out because you guys can't see him, but he is fresh. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> he walked in when I first met him. I was like, damn, this dude, he's dressed dope right now. <laughs> but, but it's funny. Like, we don't do that all the time. Like, I'll, and I try to do it too. And I don't know if I picked up from different people, but like, I'll notice something. And I'm the same thing. I, I'm a trained observer. And so, like, if somebody gets a haircut, I'm like, hey, you got a haircut or it looks good. But I think so often it's like, you notice things about people or, or something's cool, but you're like, it's like this weird power game of like, well, I don't want to say something nice. And then uh, I'm right. below them or something. Mm-hmm. There's this weird, yeah. Right, right, right. You're like men can't give compliments to other men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. why? Why? Yeah. Like, you're dressed dope. Like, yeah. cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, question three. When do you feel hurt? When do I feel hurt? Uh... Um, sometimes it hurts me if I I think about mistakes I made in the past through, you know, stupidity or drunkenness or Mm. things that were just like fucking idiotic things to do that kind of, that, that hurts me. Yeah. You know, it's, and I'm, I'm to the point in my recovery where I'm past that and I've made some amends, but you just think, you know, there's, that's the fork in the road. How would it have been different if I had not, you know bounced that guy out of the back of my truck and he mm. went surfing on the pavement and broke his face yeah you know the little things i think over time have just affect you they affect your psyche and, yeah. and so that, yeah. that sometimes that brings me pain that that brings me hurt so and it's kind of like you hurt yourself right mm-hmm. exactly that mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the biggest pains yeah yeah all right um 
Who intimidates you? Mm. Who intimidates me? Probably like uh, my boss, because I have a boss for the first time in 25 years. <laughs> I worked for myself forever, yeah. and now I'm working for a company. And so, and I, so I could see how you know men in power can be very intimidating because yeah. I, I had 25 employees yeah. and you know I was in the in my cups and you know thinking I was pretty hot shit so I was that guy I always thought I was kind of a nice boss but apparently not the nicest yeah and so that's where it intimidates me for sure number five when are you proud of yourself oh a lot of times, actually, yes. you know, because yes. you know, I've got some pretty serious accomplishments, you know, like in sobriety. I mean, I've got yeah. almost 14 years sobriety, and I'm so fucking proud of that. It's yeah. not an easy thing. Yeah. And and I think, you know, making amends is something to be proud of. And uh-huh. and, and I've been a good father for, mm. for the last, you know, I've been a good father for as much as possible, you know, before sobriety even. But even more so in sobriety, mm-hmm. got some pretty solid kids, and I've got I just celebrated twenty six years of marriage. Yeah, um, early this month, and so I'm very proud of that. But it's these things that aren't they don't come easy, but it does take some you know self realization, some re identification of you know your your ideas and ideals, and and then you know having some support, some foundation, and some mentorship, and and I'm proud of those things that I've been willing to. You know, listen to people mm-hmm. and, and be involved in in men's meetings and 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 like Walker and I have wonderful conversations that have changed you know my course and so that's I'm proud of my friendships, relationships, yeah. and things like that. Nice, that's good. So I like good. that. Um, <laughs> okay, so the last question is: uh, When do you feel m- like the most authentic version of yourself? Hmm. Probably when I'm quiet, you know, like in times of meditation and you know, kind of the chattering monkeys have kind of quit, you know, screaming at you for a bit and you've had some the chance to reflect and and I sort of feel like that connection just to where I am, who I am, that that's, I'm not trying to pretend to be anybody, I'm just... I'm sitting here on the couch or wherever you're sitting and and realizing that this is this is it mm-hmm. you know this is right now is as good as it gets you know because this is right everything I've done up until this point has led me up to here and so mm-hmm. that when I can find that moment it doesn't happen all the time but that's sort of when I feel the most like myself is because this is me this is all I got mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm not hiding you know in the fog of drugs and alcohol or I'm not, you know, in any toxic relationship I'm, I'm, or I'm working on those things. So that's, I think when I'm really in my recovery, that's when I feel I'm most like myself. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, so thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. On. Thank yeah. you. This was um, awesome. And so, yeah, uh, you know, come back next week because we're going to talk to Mark's son. I haven't asked him yet, but I, I hopefully, I think, I think he'll say, yes. uh, hopefully yes. he'll <laughs> say yes. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes we give people like, if you want to plug something or if there's anything you want to get the word of your philosophy or anything out to anybody, is there anything or? 
um, listen to this podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can plug the podcast on the podcast. Yeah. Man, Mark. Keep listening. I like that. <laughs> listen right. to your inner voice. It's <laughs> telling you the truth. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, and, uh, you know, as always, if you have uh, thoughts, questions, complaints, anything you want to uh, uh, suggest a, a guest for us, um, Email us at wallsdownpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, please subscribe to us and rate us and review us on iTunes because that helps this more people see this and um, more people will listen. And then we, you know, we'll keep doing it. We'll probably keep doing it anyway. But And give us a follow on IG at wallsdownpodcast. There's not going to be a lot on our IG at first, but yeah, we're stick it. with us. There will be stuff on there. Just trust the process. Bye, everyone. Peace. <laughs>